Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Allison. Hi, Andrea. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. Morning for me, afternoon for you. And we're recording yeah. something slightly different, actually, today. This is a kind of different recording. And we wanted to put this out as a bonus episode and get it in you mm-hmm. guys' hands as quickly as possible. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrea, for jumping on this and getting hold yeah. of the person who you talked to, yeah. recording it, because he was in Hawaii, I think, and of course you're in Washington State. <laughs> when you did it, I was tucked up in my bed fast asleep, so thank you for being able to do it. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I, I was really excited when... Um, when I well, I'll, I'll just tell you why why what actually yeah, inspired yeah. me to have this conversation all, um, and so 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 listeners know <laughs> if I can even get my words out in a coherent sentence, I'd love to hear. <laughs> um, Quetzal and I recorded this interview. Um, Allison wasn't able to be on just because time zones were a challenge at, for this one, um, but I. So I follow Quetzal's account on Instagram. It's at Wild Quetzal, and I'll link that in the show notes so everybody can just click on that there. Um, Sabrina was the one who actually s- sent his account over to me and said, oh, you would love this. And Sabrina's, you know, part of our <laughs> amazing production crew yeah. now. So yeah. thank you, Sabrina. Um, she said that I would love his account, and I started reading his posts, and I totally um, felt inspired by it so she was she was right it's a lot of things that you and I've been talking about Allison and mm-hmm. he did um so Quetzal eats an ancestral um style diet kind of locavore whatever you want to call it and mm-hmm. he used to be a vegan and so I know we have um plant-based vegan vegetarian uh, maybe even raw vegan listeners and um so i don't want anybody to feel like it's this thing i want to balance very carefully you know i want to talk about why i have um come to believe that ancestral food is so important to the human body but i also want to be so respectful of the different views and personal feelings of our listeners you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. because food and all of that can be really personal and so i you know i i think i said this in the first episode of our podcast when you asked me why do you eat this way i said oh i'm gonna get hate mail if i say the wrong thing yeah, you know because um being prescriptive with a diet is a really dangerous thing i don't i don't really think it um, anybody wants to stand up and say the entire world should eat this specific thing because I don't really think that that works. We all live in different places. We have different, you know, things, challenges we're dealing with. We have different, um, uh, you know, regional things available, you know, so there, I think there is fluctuation in what, you know, 
what's good for mm-hmm. you specifically. Um, however, I do feel very passionately about a lot of these ancestral preparation techniques and to be totally honest about animal products and how they mm. should be a part of our lives. And part of that is because I've, we have yet to find a vegan ancestral society. There were some vegetarian, but very few. And mm-hmm. by and large, it was Quetzal's, um, he did a Instagram live mm-hmm. that where he talked about some of the things that we'll cover in here. Um, but he was saying that the our ancestors you know living you know there was no grocery stores there was no you know um you know quinoa and tofu flown in from other countries or anything like that and he said they utilized every kingdom available to them the plant kingdom the animal kingdom the mineral kingdom you know all the kingdoms were a gift from the creator and they accepted and utilized them all which mm-hmm. has changed in our modern perspective where we have a choice to go to a store and buy something else. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So that <clears throat> I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but that, um, that video really inspired me. And I immediately reached out to him and I asked him, Hey, we have a new podcast. It's, you know, small and I would really appreciate talking to you. And, he immediately replied and said, absolutely. So that was real honor. And I really appreciate um, him doing that. And if you listen to this later, Ketzel, thank you. I really appreciate it Um, (laughs) because it means a lot to our listeners because I was talking to friends who are, you know, former plant-based and then also friends who are currently vegan and they have been impacted by his you know, videos and they really would appreciate hearing somebody unpack a lot of this, you know, on air just, and he's very Mm -hmm. open and very, um, just very honest about his experiences because Quetzal was vegan himself before. Mm -hmm. So he's coming to this from the perspective of somebody who was vegan and now isn't. And what did you take from the conversation? What were the, the things that really carried for you? Well, Okay, so that's a good question, Allison. There, there's a lot that I took. It's a hard one to answer. Um, I have not been myself vegan, so I'm looking at this. Mm. You know, you were raw vegan yourself, and you mm. were vegan before that. And um, Quetzal himself was also vegan. So you two both have a slightly deeper perspective, maybe even um, emotions associated Mm. with it than I do where excuse me where I'm an outsider looking in and to the world of veganism with no personal experience now I did kind of dabble (laughs) if that's the way to say Mm. it in vegetarianism and then veganism because I think you and I have agreed Allison it seems like virtually everyone in the ancestral food world was a vegan or vegetarian at some point so many of people who I talk to who yeah. are now eating ancestral have had periods or have come directly from veganism mm. or raw veganism. I think there's a certain type of person who's willing to change the way their habits are and the way their life is yeah. and really cares about what they put in their body and cares about what's going on around them. And really those traits 
sometimes go through both what can seem opposite raw veganism and ancestral food and so that's why I think there's there's lots of people who both have been you know prominent in their lives yeah well I agree because um it's I even Lexi who we just interviewed for the patreon so if you're a Mm. patron of the podcast there's a special bonus episode with lexi that just went up where she talked about a meal planning for a family with um, ancestral food and local eating and she said too that she and her family went through i forget if it was vegan i guess it was vegan yeah because she said they had no butter no milk no honey yeah um and her kind of transformation actually brought her out the other side through eating ancestral and so i i don't want to in in no wise would i ever devalues you know the process or the experience of being vegan because i agree with you allison that i think it is somebody who is like very earnest that they'll give up i mean you're giving up a bacon and cheese you know you'll give up a lot um yeah you're willing to take things off of your plate to do the right thing even if it's things that you may have grown up eating or that you think are conventionally good and that i think is you know you encounter that in ancestral too because in ancestral food in a way you're saying hey all food is available but but But, not the food that's the modern synthetic manufactured you know genetically Mm -hmm. modified type things it's more in the sense of all the natural foods if you were to go back 500 years type thing those foods are all available you know and the preparations matter um and and so i feel like the transition maybe from veganism to ancestral food could be a natural and an organic one because again you're willing to take things off your plate you're willing to take the time to prepare things you're willing to look harder go farther to source things whatever you Mm -hmm. need to do Um, and those are all things that you kind of have to commit to in a way for the ancestral diet and um um i think we also said this in one of our early podcasts that you and i today as people who you know eat organ meats and and muscle meats and um milk products and all these things we have more probably in common with vegan brothers and sisters than we do with you know our average fellow meat eater because we too care deeply about the source uh, and the um the treatment of not just the animals but the plants and the soil and the you know the waterways as well um, so Allison, I wanted to ask you, so you already listened to this, um, episode, yeah. you, you kind of got the, the insider scoop and you got to listen to it straight from the <laughs> server and you having been vegan, you know, Quetzal's a man, you're a woman, you both went through vegan, mm-hmm. um, lifestyle for a while. Your perspective is slightly different and you wanted to, um speak to some of the things that he talked about yeah that you had a slightly different experience with so i want to um open up the floor to you for a couple minutes allison so we can um, hear about your experience here yeah so anyone who hasn't um picked up from previous podcast i was raw vegan for two years and before that i was vegan um and so just listening to the interview was really it kind of threw me back to that space. So mm. it was quite emotional because as you said, food is a very kind of personal thing. Yeah. And the reason I turned, um, or the reason I went into raw veganism was for health. 
And Ketzel talks quite a lot about health throughout your discussion. And I believed at the time it would make me healthier. And to some extent it did. And prior to going down the route of veganism and raw veganism, one of the um, health issues that I had that bothered me the most was my menstrual cycle. Um, I've got PCOS, polycystic ovaries, and I've got a really long history um, up to that point of extended lengths of time with no cycle, months, sometimes years. And then when I did have a cycle, when my periods came, they'd be very heavy, very painful, and I'd get vertigo with them that literally would stop me for a couple of days. And you and Ketzel talk about that in your chat the kind of the idea of fertility and veganism and I wanted to speak to it a little bit because as you said I've got a different experience to him and it's something else to throw into the into the pot as it were right so interestingly when I went raw vegan my period stopped just like Hetzel talks about and obviously that is not a good thing from the outside but to some extent I was relieved because I was going through a not very nice experience and had been really since I was a teenager, you wow. know, for, for over a decade. And I know that it's not an isolated case. You know, it wasn't just me that this happened to. I know that it often happens um, when people follow a vegan diet that your periods stop. And the way that Ketzel explained it in your discussion, which people will hear in just a moment, is that the vegan community kind of brightsides that idea as a sign of purity, that you don't have a cycle. And when I go back to what happened to me and my understanding at the time, because I did quite a lot of research on it because I was a woman and because it happened to me. And really in the vegan and the raw vegan world, there were quite a lot of prominent figures saying that they were indeed having a cycle so they were ovulating and they could tell that by taking the temperature but they weren't bleeding or they weren't bleeding heavily because their body didn't need to Um, their idea was that your body their bodies could reabsorb the lining of their womb because of the less toxicity floating around in their system right so that's a bit different to what Ketzel says when you talk to him but if I bring it back to me again, I mean, that didn't happen to me. I, I know I wasn't ovulating. I, I had an absence of a cycle at all. And it was coming, really coming back to ancestral eating, which, as you said, respects the animal, the environment and the body as its core, just as strongly as veganism wants to. Those two things are, are, are strong in both of those styles of eating. It was ancestral eating that solved my menstrual cycle issues. So my periods came back and it was in that journey coming back to saturated fat and animal produce that I was able to get pregnant. So I'd been, when I got pregnant with my son, with Gabriel, I'd been five years without a cycle at all. And literally within a few months of changing to ancestral eating and monitoring my temperature, watching what was happening to my body, I was pregnant. And ever since then, my periods have been regular and much less traumatic than they were prior to that. So I'd say, yes, raw veganism was bad for me mentally and ancestral eating has, in quotes, fixed that because it has. But I would say that 
just like Ketzel says, I don't think being raw vegan was all bad for me. Uh, he says at some point in the interview, I think that it was for him to some degree necessary. And mm-hmm. for me, it feels like part of my journey to get to ancestral eating was having to go through veganism and my body changed because of that time that I was raw vegan. And it's important to me, having listened to the interview, to tread delicately, like you yeah. said, when talking about veganism and ancestral eating in the same context. Because as you said, there are core values that are really the same. You know, most people renounce meat eating because the norms of standard farming are absolutely abhorrent and anyone who cares and is informed can see that you know that's that's something that is clear if you're willing to look at it and feel that pain you're going to feel moved and and veganism appears to have less impact on the world from an ethics standpoint from an environmental standpoint and a health standpoint and like you said vegans are actually doing something they're doing something because they care about the ethics yeah they're doing something because they care about their health like i was Mm -hmm. and they're doing something because they care about the environment just like we do and obviously we disagree on how to fix those things but we do agree that 95 percent of what goes on in the western world around food is completely wrong yeah (laughs) and The most important thing to me around that and around all the, the work that I do around food and, and the same for you, I believe, is that we want to change that. So in order to change that, we need to come together. We need to leave the door open for people who are eating differently to how we are. Right. And as Ketzel says at one point, so rightly in the interview, we need to cl- connect on a human level first yeah before we connect on a a a dogmatic level or on a level of actually what the things are we're doing every day and and i think that's vital there's so much out there with with vegans and ancestral eaters battling and if we go beyond that and connect as people and connect as the things we believe in first then there's room for us to move together as much as we can and learn from each other yeah. What I do you totally, think about all that, Andrea? <laughs> you know, I, I totally agree. And and I <clears throat> I do agree with you also where I think that there are um, some stages and some phases where the, um, that that it's totally been appropriate for people. And and and, and I, again, I'm, I'm not here to talk about this because I need personally to convert you, you know, to eat mm. butter. Literally, you can. I don't care if you sit on your couch and eat Pop-Tarts and watermelon for the rest of your life. Like it's your choice, you know, you Mm. make the choice. But um, the reason I've connected on this really is, um, you know, the the more you kind of look at these different food ways, um, some of these food ways, I I don't know if this is too much to say, but um, there might be an agenda behind some of the, you know, popular trends that are out there that that may be a very dangerous one. And, um, maybe not to you specifically but on when you know it's comes out to a grand scale uh so i will link in the show notes there is an instagram account um like i said i'm allison and ketzel you both were um, vegan i 
Um, I have not been vegan, so I don't have a personal experience to share, but um, the Holistic Mother shares on Instagram, um, she shared very openly her experience and then that sparked quite a response from people sending in their experience as well. And she addresses some of these, you know, really some of the political movements that may be driving some of this, Hmm. um, some of the aspects, you know, of the, you know, plant-based movement when it Mm. comes anything that comes from the government i look at it with a side eye but (laughs) um i also wanted to say right before we close and let Mm. everybody enjoy quetzal's interview um there's a quote from joel salatin that has stuck in my head for a long time and he said there's no such thing as an animalist ecology Mm. so when you know government or whatever whoever tells you that animals are the problem um we know that's that's kind of a myth you know in terms of our environment Mm. you know our our environment literally cannot exist without animals so the question Mm. then i think is the bigger the bigger question that needs to be addressed which i think vegans have hit right on the head and are very passionate about is that yeah, there's no such thing as an animalless ecology, but you're not doing the animal part right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amen. you it, there's there's abusive practices both to the animals and to the land, and um, yeah. I think vegan um, communities um, in particular recognize that and are actually willing to do something about it and are willing yeah. to face that. Which you know, just a lot of people are are just not willing to look at it, yeah. and and we just want to close our eyes and um, not hear the screaming, you know, but. Mm. <clears throat> just like you said, Allison, I, I don't want to slam the door in somebody's face. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be rude. I, I want, but, but I do want to talk about things that are hard to talk about. And this is one of those things. Yeah, you're right. So should we leave the uh, listeners with the interview now? I know we've talked about it so much. They actually get to listen to it because yeah. it's such a good interview. It's the appetizer. You've got some, <laughs> some wonderful things about about reverence for for the land for everything around us about the cycle of life about local food about connection with nature and it's really um it's a wonderful listen do be aware that there is some occasional light swearing in the episode so if you are in sensitive company you might want to pop (laughs) in your earbuds and listen that way um but we we really i really do hope you enjoy it and i'm so grateful andrea for you interviewing quetzal thank you Oh, that's good. <laughs> Jacob just came down and told me one of the chicks hatched overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I come up and get it in just a minute? I looked up the love shit. Like oh. when I came right back from the cat food, okay. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of animals, I will be going upstairs and outside to tend to ours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, thank you for the warning, Allison. There was a little bit of swearing in there. So, um, <clears throat> all right, let's let everybody enjoy. And uh, here, here's the interview with uh, myself, Andrea, and Wild Quetzal. Welcome everybody back to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast. I'm so excited to be here with, um, well, you have an awesome Instagram account and how do you want me to address you on here? What is best for you? Quetzal. Quetzal, okay. Yeah. I'm on here with Quetzal and he has an awesome Instagram. It's linked in the show notes so you guys can see it. Um, A few friends sent it to me saying, this is something you would love. 
And um, thank you, Sabrina, for sending me that video that he posted. I have been watching all your videos <laughs> and you did an awesome live the other day that um, it was just really profound and really impacted me. And it touched on some things that Allison and I have briefly mentioned on the podcast. And I felt like you are just the right person to expand on this and help unpack it for all of us. So what your live was about the other day was, well, basically in short, did our ancestors eat vegan? And if we're not eating vegan, are we, um, you know, not, not being connected to our earth and our own ancestry? And so where, how do you want to begin talking about this, Ketzel? Because it was... Well I think that it's important to like, let me, I'll tell my, my story of how I kind of came to this point, because I think that that's important. Um, you know, so myself, the reason that I have a lot of insight on the way that vegans or plant-based people think is because I was vegan for, or plant-based for five years myself and very wow. going deep into this lifestyle and this way of thinking and exploring you know, this path. And so for me, it began through my brother kind of just came at me at the right time. And when I was open and receptive, and he just basically was telling me like, Oh, we're not supposed to be eating this way. You know, and at that point, it was, uh, he was impacted by being raw vegan, and no cooked food, just basically plants, I mean, um, just vegetables, fruits and nuts and seeds was the gist of it. And I completely changed my diet the next day, like that was it. Like I just cold turkey cut off. Uh, I was eating just kind of like a standard American diet at the time. I was kind of into bodybuilding. So I had my little like chicken and rice and, and you know, little meals that I would prep, but I wasn't conscious on the, on the level of like where things were coming from. It was just like, kind of like fuel and just eat whatever is available. So, you know, I went through that process of being very much into raw veganism, going through that transition and really for me, I felt like shit. Like I, I didn't have no energy, but there was a story that I kept telling myself of, well, this is part of the process. Uh, you're just detoxing. These are kind of the things that come along with embracing that lifestyle and what you'll hear as a vegan, as a plant-based eater. And what people will tell you is, well, well, you're just detoxing or you just need to eat more bananas. You just need to eat more of this or more of that. Right. And it's like, it's very, challenging for your body to like transition into this different way of eating uh just cold turkey because i think our bodies get, get used to certain um nutrients you know so i'm not the one that's like oh i felt great for a while and then i felt like shit i like i felt bad from the beginning like and i just kept powering through and i was working a warehouse job at the time so you know it was very challenging for me because i was working a warehouse job so it was very uh, intense you know, labor. And I, I was eating a raw vegan diet. So I was just like, sometimes I would just be like going through it as I'm stocking these boxes on the pallets. And um, it, it, it was just a, it was a very challenging experience. But like I said, I kept telling myself the story, you just got it, you're detoxing, you're healing, you know, and I, and I think to some degree, it, it was necessary. Like, that's why I don't like to like, talk bad about veganism, because I think that it's necessary at some point for some people in their life. And so for me, I think that just removing a lot of the stuff that I was doing 
led me to expose myself to myself and to really realize a lot of things that I'm now have the awareness of. So, you know, long story short, continue that path, eventually started eating some cooked vegan food. And then um, the big thing was when we came here to Hawaii, where we live with my family, my wife and my son, he was just born and my wife was basically, uh, you know, she was so lost so much weight and and within like a week of reincorporating some like eggs and some fish and some local stuff that was here, you know, she picked up like 10 pounds, you know, started feeling better. The baby started uh, feeling, looking better. You know, he had like jaundice and stuff. So I just started to, to see. And the thing is that I had heard this message much before I was ready to embrace it. So this is things that were in the back of my head, like our, our ancestors, how they ate, um, this whole component of, of, of this diet that is kind of new and modern, but then people try to attach it to ancestral ways and it just doesn't line up. So I think that that's the clarification with that video that you're talking about that I, that I was trying to bring to the table is that we have to acknowledge that this is a new phenomenon because what a lot of people are doing is saying like, oh, well, no, our ancestors, actually, they were vegan and this is just suppressed information. There's a conspiracy theory, you know, that that prior to colonization, there was that these indigenous people were eating vegan. And I'm like, no, we don't have to distort the traditions and the history of what has existed. If you want to embrace that, go ahead. But I think that we should make it clear that this is a rather new experiment and the the circumstances that allow it to to happen and to exist are only so because of the the displacement that's happened these resources that are getting hauled in from for you to have uh, produce year-round you know that doesn't grow where you live not and especially not year-round everything in nature is seasonal so we have this system that allows people to go in a grocery store and get the same food year round every day they can go and, and surely enough it's going to be there stocked up so people begin to feel a sense of security around this dietary lifestyle to where it's like wow this does feel better superior but my thing is just pointing out that this is not necessarily natural in the way that we've been taught because that's one of the things that i came with veganism was like well let me get closer to nature i'm getting i felt in some way that i was getting closer to nature but when i really looked at it half of the people or most of the people I should say that are pushing this lifestyle didn't really have a connection or relationship to the landscape, to the environment, to actually the plants that they were, that they were having, that they were consuming. So I said this um, in my live yesterday that we have, that we can be infinitely irreverent to plants. Like people can consume plants without no reverence, but then when people consume animal foods, they demand that you have reverence. When, you know, traditionally, you know, people, indigenous people, indigenous cultures, our ancestors, they would have seen these things both as sacred to have reverence for. But somehow we create a hierarchy to where we don't hold people accountable for being irreverent to their plant foods, but people demand it when it comes to animal foods, because obviously there's emotional attachments in the programming of the, you know, all these documentaries that have aired that have really tugged at people's you know, heartstrings. And, and so I think is for me, my mission is just undoing a lot of the myths and propaganda that aren't based in reality. Cause I'm not the person that's like, don't be vegan. Like that's do what you want to do, but don't distort reality. 
don't change the history. Don't tell a narrative of our ancestors that isn't accurate. You know, that is what, you know, I was alluding to in that live, um, just, just to not change what is, just to accept it. And if you want to move forward and eat plant-based, okay, cool. But then I also want to remind you that the system that, that's, that allows you to do that is only so because of what has happened. You know, uh, like the this displacement of resources and whatnot. Yeah, wow. I, <laughs> I love everything that you just said. And, and you articulate it in such a... The, one of the things that struck me about your account when I first found you was that you were sharing these really, really strong messages, but it never felt aggressive or like you were angry at somebody for going through their own journey. Um, and that I think is, is really rare because it's either, I, I feel like there's a lot of accounts that are um, almost religiously, whatever it is that they are, and you're not allowed to come to a conclusion. You know, you're just wrong if you're not thinking right. the same way. So I think that your message is probably reaching a lot more people because um, it, like you post videos that I am willing to share with friends who are vegan and vegetarian because they don't feel mean about it. You know, it's just, I, I, right. really, I really appreciate the way that you said all of that. You said something in your live about grocery stores and I, and I was trying to write it down, but then the next thing you said was really good. And so I wrote that down instead. But <laughs> you, <laughs> you said something about, um, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're just, you're shopping in the same place or, or you're just going to the grocery store and um, I was you're just shopping from a different aisle. Yeah. That's what you that's said. What yeah. You're getting your food from the same place, just shopping from a different aisle. Um, that was really, really impactful to hear it said that way i come from the um, farming perspective i have had the joy of working on a couple farms and one thing that i saw was in the monocrop fields around us because our the farms i worked on were biodynamic organic ones and in the fields around us the slaughter of small animals in the process of harvesting soy um, it was just one thing that struck me personally was, wow, um, I knew people who were buying tofu instead of chicken. And then I was watching millions of creatures die under these right. machines. And I just thought, I don't know that it's, that was my kind of glimpse into, I don't know that this is really all that it's chalked up to be. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the great illusions that is being perpetuated that we can somehow escape this cycle of of life and death, mm -hmm. right? That you can just shop from a certain aisle and that you're basically doing the most righteous thing that you can by doing that. And, and I think that one of the things that I came to realize is that we can't escape it. Like, I think that that's, we have to confront that life and death cycle at some point in our life. And the more we try to elude that, that's when we create these philosophies of like abstaining from me, abstaining from animal products. Then people go extreme like fasting and then they don't even want to walk on the ground because they don't want to crush any microscopic insect that might exist. And it's like, we're failing to 
embrace the reality that we were born into. We're put here to experience this because at the end of the day, we're not making it alive either, you know, but because we have such a, a disdain for death, that's where this life extension and people are trying to elude death because they don't want to die themselves. So they say, well, I don't want other organisms to die. But then I ask myself, what does that do for the greater picture? Like if organisms, if right now other organisms started to say, well, we don't want to die either. We're not going to die. Like, you know, like, and we started to make that a reality that just interrupts the whole cycle. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's rather than people embracing this life and going through it and accepting it for what it is, we're, because we're sheltered from nature and we're not seeing that on a day-to-day basis, we can come conjure up these philosophies of like, oh, well, I don't want nothing to suffer. I don't want nothing to, to experience pain. That's because we're sheltered. But in reality, that, that's a reality of life and nature, especially. It's not something for us to eliminate. It's something for us to get in tune with and, and, and get aligned align with because we're in, in some people say you're a a humanist or you're you feel you're superior to other organisms uh because you're eating them and i say no you feel like you're superior to to nature because you're trying to supersede the order of nature there's an order that's innate to nature and you think that you can go above that and escape the the outside of that without no consequences to me that's the ego Uh, you know that that's that's a certain type of of ego that is centered around the human the human world, like a lot of these things that people pose as questions are he- coming from a human centered perspective. Even this idea of we're, we're talking about what's best for our health. We want to live longer. We want to be comfortable. It's all, it's all based around humans and what he- was best for humans. But sometimes some of these things that we want that are best for us, or we feel are best for us have a negative impact on the other organisms on the other cycles. So, you know, that's how far back, I take this because um, some people's approach is to like, I don't resist. I don't resist what this reality is. I accept that, you know, that there's death, that there's life and they both cycles that feed one another. I'm not trying to get in the way of that. Like that's, that's why I'm not going to preach like, Oh, eat this way to extend your life or eat this way to, you know, to live longer. Like that's not a talking point that I want to use because at the end of the day, people can leverage that to create some crazy extreme diets. Like, okay, if you put a bunch of stem cells in somebody and create this artificial environment, yeah, they might live longer, but is that what they're we're supposed to be doing? Like, is that in line with the cycle of nature and, yeah. and everything else? Like, so yeah, that's, that's how I think about that. It does make a lot of sense when you explain, I mean, it, at first blush, it sounds like you're trying to do the selfless thing to eat a vegan diet, right? You know, I don't want something with a face to die. But in your live, you also said that um, that's a narcissistic worldview, that to say everything in nature has, you know, descending value based on how close it is to representing me. And that was a really fascinating perspective to hear. Right. Yeah. I don't think people realize that they're doing that. I think they just doing it. And then when, when I point it out, it's like, wow, like it, it, it just makes sense, but it's like, it just happening 
naturally out of people, you know, when they take this approach, because that's how I look at it. Um, and that's how that's kind of how it unravels when somebody's vegan or plant-based and they have a compassion for animals. They tend to have like if it's a mammal, they're gonna have more compassion for that mammal over an insect. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have more compassion for insect yeah. over a plant. Uh, they're going to have more compassion for a plant over bacteria that they can't really see and have a tangible exchange or relationship with. So it's just this order of magnitude. It, it's only, it's relative to us. So from like, from another organism's perspective, I'm sure they would be like, well, if I'm an insect, I want to, my, my heart, my hierarchy is an insect. So whatever's closest to insect, that's what I want to align myself with. So for humans, obviously, if you're a chimpanzee, I can connect with you and I can see myself in you a lot more than I would with an insect. So I'm gonna have more compassion for you. So that's just that phenomenon that that's what I see when, when people do that and organize life in that way. Uh, because when we're talking about sentience, right, this is one of the things that veganism is kind of centered around this idea of that animals are sentient. But then when I ask myself, well, what, sentience, why are you picking sentience as a quality to, to uphold or to or to put higher on the hierarchy because we have sentience because we identify with sentience within ourselves so you wouldn't say like a plant is sentient but you was but you can and we do know that plants experience stress like cells experience stress all order life experiences stress it's a it's a signal it's a signal from life telling you there's something happening or you need to make a change or something but when we on on mammals in high order uh organisms that that turns into sentience and so that that word right there is one of the words that is leveraged to protect some of the you know more advanced organisms against death you know which is something that we all going to face you know uh, i'm not trying to protect anything or anybody Uh, that's not my approach so I, i just breaking down the different the different talking points that kind of get thrown around, right? And people never think about them. They're like, oh yeah, like we go with our emotion. What I'm trying to bring is an objective breakdown of this whole thing. Let's take our emotions out of it. And that's why I say a lot of times, um, okay, stop identifying with this way of eating. Stop identifying with this for a moment because you were this person before you started eating and you'll be this way and you'll be this person after. So because you have such a strong emotional attachment to this way of eating, you've intertwined it with your identity. I can't, I can't use a talking point or or present any information that would contradict that because you're going to feel attacked because you feel like I'm attacking you personally because you've, you've intertwined it with your own identity. So first we have to realize that we can coexist with diff- uh, despite the fact that we eat two different ways. We have to connect on a human level first because if not, we're just going to be battling each other. And then you get to this whole point of like science articles, right? People start bringing up science articles. And that's another thing within itself that I've, you've, you can find science articles on anything, scientific articles on that will back up a vegan diet, that will back up a carnivore diet. So it's like we're getting to a point where science is almost becoming subjective in a way to where people making it mean whatever they want it to mean. So it's like I, I had to break away from that because I was very deep into the science of things. So that led me to just analyze what ancestral people have done and to use real life experience as a 
as as a metric, you know, to how should we eat? Because otherwise we get lost in the science. If we're not tracking our body, if we're not seeing how we feel, if we're not going to see how people actually live, then then everything else is kind of just open for interpretation. Uh, that's why I said, if aliens came down to earth and they analyze humans and said, like, you know how we do, we'll, we'll go into the jungle and we're like, oh, well, chimpanzees eat this, this is their right. diet. And this, we don't, we don't say, well, this is what they should be eating. <laughs> like, it, it would be nice if they only ate this, but we do that with ourselves. We, we see that humans eat omnivorously. They eat plants, but they also eat meat. They, they eat from anything that's really available in their environment. That's one of the fascinating things about humans that they have made these uh, seemingly inhospitable environments very uh, hospitable for themselves through utilizing all the different kingdoms of life. So as a, if an alien came down, that's what they would describe a human as an omnivore you know, objectively, but because we're in it, we have these ideas and these, uh, we romanticize our origins. And so we say, oh yeah, we're eating this way now, but we fell from grace because at some point we were eating fruits in the garden of Eden. That's just like, that's the kind of story that a lot of people have. But when you look at it objectively, okay, that's cool. And I, that's cool if you want to have that thought, but objectively, what do we do? Right. What do we do? What do we observe humans to be doing? And that's, what we have to go with because that's what is being done that's not theoretical it's just what it is you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i do and i i when you talk about looking at what people have always done i think you said something along the lines of to think that we have now discovered that all of human history has eaten the wrong way the hubris of that now we finally figured it out is kind of extreme but yeah. uh, <laughs> um the ancestral diets research is actually what brought me back to eating carbohydrates again because i thought i fell into this trap of thinking yeah our ancestors just ran around eating like lions or whatever and yeah. um you know they didn't eat grains but then as you say be the alien that comes down to earth and look back no that's actually not true humans have always anywhere we can find them we're taking grains um and so that was just um an interesting aspect that i didn't have the the vegan perspective but i had that perspective and that ancestral research brought me back to that and it has been really beneficial for me so um i definitely also you know and it's very varied right so like i think the what one of the things i say is that your environment dictates your diet so wherever you're yeah, at, like, exactly. traditionally, that's what it would have been, right? Like your college, you would have said, well, this is what's available. So, um, I mean, if you go to, you know, uh, in Northern Northern America, in the Great Lakes regions where they have, a, you know, abundance of wild rice that, that was growing there, that was a big staple there. And that, that's a grain, right? And, yeah. and so people would eliminate that because in other areas of the world, other humans might not have access to that. So we can't, that's why I say we're, we're, we're on they don't eat wild rice so yeah right right and, but but humans may work wherever they've existed and that and that's the key point that that i'm being bringing to people's awareness because people say like well they they were plant-based right they only ate meat on occasion but it was rare and so they try to paint this picture like and that might have been the case for some cultures at some points throughout the year but that wasn't like a choice that because the, they're trying to make it seem like, well, they didn't value animal foods. They just supplemented with animal foods. But 
you know, every culture traditionally valued animal foods. They might have not had access to them at the levels that they wanted, but if they had it their way, I'm sure that they would have, you know, wanted more access to those animal foods because it's a lot of dense nutrition in there, especially during times of reproduction. This is when we see the most need for these higher dense foods and the most transition of what I see is like these women getting pregnant, having children, and then being like, well, yeah, I started eating animal foods again because a lot of people are that are vegan or plant-based, they're still running off of the animal foods that they've eaten in their life before. Mm -hmm. So when you have a child is like that child is stripping your energy, stripping your minerals, is stripping from you that you got to replenish. So that's when we see like what really is, is functional uh, for a human diet in when it comes to reproduction. Cause now we're taking something from the woman that needs to be replenished. And so if it's not replenished in the way that, that, it, that she was before, which was probably animal foods, most people aren't born vegan. That's a very rare, you know, occurrence. So a lot of the people that, that might've transitioned, they might be vegan a month, two months, a year, two years, they're still operating from a, a body that was built off animal foods, but then they're like bashing animal foods, right? So it's like kind of ironic. Um, you rarely get to see like 10, 20 year vegans really, really um, in the movie. It's, it's they're more on the rare end. They do, obviously they do exist. But what I'm saying is that a lot of them haven't even endured it long enough to really have a thorough experience with it to say where like your body's actually made out of vegan food. A lot of them are still running off of animal based foods that they've eaten prior to their veganism. So uh, I think that that's the most telling point. If we can reproduce and, and have viable offspring and that cycle can be perpetuated in a healthy way, that's a good indication that that might work. But when that starts to fluctuate, and that's what we see when these women get pregnant, they start craving meat or, or they lose weight and they're not really able to replenish some of those things on a plant-based diet, then we could that we, we could criticize that point or we could analyze and be like, well, there might be something there that that might be an indicator that that's not the best or the whole thing, the whole story that we need to be embracing. Right. And it, it's so interesting that you use pregnancy as an example, because that's actually what motivated me to start eating carbs again. By the time I got to my third pregnancy, I was just like, this isn't working. <laughs> so, did, did you see the video, um, the live that me and my wife did? When? I did not see that. Yeah, With we just did a live and we we're basically because uh, I had made a post and I basically said, uh, can animal foods heal? Right. And I was asking people to share their testimony. So we went live and got people to come on camera and share their story. But we talk about um, our story and, and coming here and, and starting to incorporate animal foods again. But I share a video where this guy is asking a hunter gatherer tribe, what's the most important thing in life. And the first thing he says is meat. And the second thing he says is honey. So I, I just, um, I just reminded me cause you're just talking about carbohydrates and a lot of people, you know, they've been another movement that is happening and yeah is this whole um ketogenic diet and and really abstaining from carbohydrates but that's another thing another myth you know like all these uh hunter gatherer tribes they're eating honey any chance they can get it you know and, and so, so you know we don't see that as what was that i was saying you see them climb those trees 
and, and get stung and everything. And they're just like grinning and happy as can be. Cause they're like, ah, honey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, it definitely plays a role in the diet. You know, a lot of these diets that you're referring to women will not have a cycle for years and years on that. And that's not normal. Um, you know, a cycle is, right. I think some people call it, what is it? The, like, the fifth vital sign or something you know showing that your body is working well so it's but you know what they would say in the vegan world right what no i don't because that's been differently in in that world um if you don't have a cycle that's a sign of purity in that world so they're basically saying to they're not just humans are the pinnacle men are the pinnacle because if we're, the, <laughs> we're like a man without a cycle the more pure we well, are <laughs> we, yeah i mean I, I yeah i guess you you could say that or you could say that at least women have an indicator of their purity yeah. <laughs> you know like to whether that, that's but that's the mindset that they look at it from to where if you, you know. don't have a cycle as a woman they're thinking well that's good because your body doesn't need a cleanse because you're so clean. But then from another perspective, like ancestrally, like in how I would look at it is like, no, your body is telling you you're not equipped to have a child. Right. At this moment. In the, every other kingdom, if you can't reproduce, that's the end. You know, there, right. you know, if a, like I have bok choy that I planted, but it bolted. The first day it got hot because all it wants to do is produce flowers and seeds. It doesn't want to produce the leaves, you know, it just wants mm. flowers and seeds who can reproduce. And, um, and I have like a hundred chickens and you can watch them reproduce all day long in the yard. Yeah. They're passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's one of the, like the basic components of life that you're going to see is reproduction, eating, reproduction, and, you know, it's, it's very basic, but when, when you take one out, that's a very detrimental sign in any population of any organism. The inability to reproduce is, but, you know, that's why I'm just trying to point out these inconsistencies because psychologically, I think that is doing something to people that they're not really realizing. So when you start to see and live through this lens, it's like, well, you don't believe that you're pure enough and you have to get to this level of purity mm-hmm. to where you become infertile because you're so pure, but it's actually glorified as something to uh, 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 attain to, you know? And for me, it's like, okay, like how long is that going to, what if we all embrace that? Like the human race is be over pretty quick. <laughs> well, that's maybe what some people want. <laughs> um, right. There's also the hallmark of a lot of diets that you see popular in like popular media or whatever are based on um, one thing. Do you lose weight? And every oh, yeah. other marker of a healthy life is ignored. Like, are you raging angry all the time? Cause you haven't had sugar in years, you know, right. do- fog you can't think um are you losing weight to the point of being malnourished and skinny and is your temperature you know 95 degrees and you have no cycle and all these things you know your heart rate's 50 beats per minute like there's a lot of things um that are left out of the equation and all we look at doesn't make you lose weight 
That's, that's a good point. Uh, and people often embrace a lot of these diets because they do want to lose weight or it's coming from more of a superficial um, point of view. And so it's like in a natural environment, humans wouldn't be focused on prioritizing their physique, you know, um, over everything else, you know, that that's just like a modern phenomenon in what we see with social media and Hollywood and all this, they they set a certain standard for people that want to attain to it. And so they utilize some of these diets to get there. But for me, it goes beyond that. I think a health is a byproduct of being in tune with your environment, being in tune with nature, being in tune with yourself and your body. Like if you can check those boxes off, health is just going to happen. It's not something that you have to uh, neurotically be focused on, like some of the way that people will be supplementing and, and taking notes and, and having all these things that, you know, they're, they're neurotic about. And it just gets to a point where that becomes even a stressor on your life to have to think so hardly and so deeply about every little thing that you, you know, come into contact in, in, with your body or in your reality. Right. Right. It's the, the quote physique is your symptom of, you know, a healthy diet. And I think a lot of us, one thing that I've been learning um, from some of the other speakers that I've been listening to as well is a lot of us have treated our bodily bad bodies so badly for so many years that, you know, when you transition towards what is your ancestral diet or things that um, feel like they're nourishing you, you know, you might initially gain some weight or you won't lose weight right away, maybe because it's not focused on weight loss. It's focused on getting your entire body to, like this healthy point in you have a lot of organs that need to be addressed and a lot of, you know, glands and things that need to learn how to function again, that are, well, you know, this from eating vegan for so long, your body will survive, but it's working overtime to try to convert things and try to transition basically try to turn your plant food into animal food and you don't have three stomachs. You can't extract <laughs> out of, you know, grass, what a cow could do for you. So, I, I mean, yeah, for sure. But that's not what, that's not the talking points that they use. Cause no. you know, that's, that, that's another thing that would be like, Oh, well, look at the gorilla, look at the elephant. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but they're eating plants all day like yeah. hundreds of pounds of plants are you is that what you're trying to do eat hundreds of pounds like that's you have to dedicate your life to just eating plants all day and gorillas have a much larger gut than us like ours is you know much smaller and so we're comparing ourselves in our anatomy to these organisms who are vastly different like there might be some similarities but is the nuance you have to go into the nuance and, and ask yourself like oh are you willing to take if you're using this animal as an example this specimen are you willing to mimic other areas of its life or how it gets that energy by eating all day or are you just are, you know we're just being very surface level when, when people make comments like that but people run with it because most people aren't going to go into the nuance of things because it's like it takes more effort it takes more energy to like actually have to do this kind of research uh, to just kind of debunk these talking points that are often used that 
when I hear them now, it's just like, uh, like I know who I'm dealing with now. Like if it's somebody who's like, oh, the gorilla's big or the elephant's big because of plants, so I, I can be big because of plants too. Mm. It's just like, uh, you, you're not seeing the whole picture. Mm, okay. Can, can I go back to something you touched on earlier? Um, I don't know how much time you have, but um, if I could get one more thing out of you, um, even though I have 101 questions, but um, I, I do encourage everybody go to Ketzel's Instagram is really good. There's lots of videos you can watch. And I was scrolling down really far. And wasn't that a video of you when you were eating vegan and you were pretty thin? Um, yeah. Thin. Yeah. Um, but you talked about when we don't have our connection to, you know, the fact that we're also going to die one day and go back into the earth. So, um, when that, that made me think I used to volunteer in hospice and one of the things I learned when I went through the training was that in our culture, we're highly resistant to death, even the death of our elders who have lived a hundred years and are just kind of succumbing, you know, right. not, not like they fell off of a cliff or something, you know? So she, one of the things that the nurses told us was that a lot of times a family member will be in the hospital bed for like days, just kind of lingering and mm. we'll be taking turns sitting around. And then the hospice volunteer, which was our role would come in and give you a break and say, okay, go to the bathroom, go down, you know, get food, whatever. And she said, oftentimes, as soon as the family member left, the person, you know, the bed would die. And family mm. members would say, oh, see, I knew it. I shouldn't have left. And she said, it was just that the person couldn't pass away until a hospice member came. And one, our role was to be comfortable with death and to say, right. hey, it's okay. Like if it's, if you're ready to go, you can cross, like it's, it's fine. And lots of just right. beautiful, wonderful experiences in that. Um, but then that made me think about like the Western culture, is where we see veganism being, I feel like, just from my perspective, it's like I see a lot of people in like Western society promoting it. But I have friends in like many countries in Africa and none of them have ever said to me for one second that that has ever crossed their mind. They don't all eat the same as each other. They're in highly diverse regions, but they all some of them take blood and milk from cows and others like eat like whole chickens. And um, so I was just wondering if you think that it's more prevalent in Western society. And also if you think that's associated to just our like inability to cope with death as a society here. Yeah, for sure. I, I think for sure it is a phenomenon of Western culture like popular culture is just this extreme disconnection from that cycle and if you think about that whole process when people start to get to an age where they're getting older and getting closer to that point in their life they're kind of tucked away to areas of society where we don't really want to look at them so that's why we have like elderly homes and we have these places to where we don't want to see the, this process unfold because it's like we're almost trying to forget that it exists you know and that inevitably we will also succumb to that so i think that ideally we would exist in a community where we would see birth and death 
on a constant basis and we would have a comfortable relationship with that. And that's, that would be within the human population of the population of humans in the community, but also through the process of, um, of just seeing organisms in our ecology going through that as well, you know? So you might see like, you know, a population of, of deer that have, uh, you know, they have their offspring and we also might see, you know, other animals dying, but then we would experience that within our tribe as well, within our community of people, of children being born and elderly people passing on, but there's no role that is enforced or that is culturally appropriate for elderly people in our modern world, right? They, they, don't, they don't really have this purpose to where they, they would have had a purpose in, in a community context to where they, they might be taking care of like the children or might be instilling the wisdom that they learned throughout their life. Uh, and so that would have given them purpose instead of them just kind of waiting idly by till they, you know, transition, till they pass away. So I think that that's a big part of it too, that we don't have the type of culture that is set up to, to give these people in this stage of their life a purpose. So we kind of just tuck them away, put them over here, and we just don't know how to deal with them. Uh, yeah, but on, a, on another level as well, is just that we don't have those experiences enough to, to have a healthy relationship. And that's one of the things that I think incorporating animal foods, and as I, I'm getting into hunting and fishing and, and these processes that put me face to face with with this process uh is healing my relationship to to death because i feel like i'm i'm coming from that culture too of where i'm not i, I wasn't very comfortable with death and I, I, it's something that i really want to think about but it's something that i think about a lot more often when i see the food on my plate and, and i'm grateful for it and I, it just reminds me of the life cycle so i think when we disconnect from that because we all like i said we're all going to get there but how, when you get there how will you react like you said you saw a lot of people that were highly resistant to to death to that process and i think ideally we want to get to a point where we when we get to that point we're not resisting we're we're accepting that it is our time and that that we don't go out fighting that we just allow for that process to occur you know because that's what's supposed to happen you know and so like i think a lot of these things are derivatives of being disconnected from that process and wanting to further insulate ourselves from that reality. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you describe everything that way, it makes me think we, we don't want our elders to die, but we don't want to see them either. That's just a horrible um, right. paradigm, you know, cognitive dissonance there. Um, and just totally mind blowing. Right. And, and it's just like, I mean, I think morally people want to have that perspective. Like, oh, I don't want my grandparents to die or that this elderly person that I relate to to die. But at the same time, it's like, well, what kind of relationship do you have for them in your life? You know, or do you just want them to die just based off of the, off of what? Like, at the same time, you have to like, we have to start providing a space for them in our life and incorporating them in 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 our communities and our families and stuff that's what traditionally would have been done so you know we can't say that we care about somebody but then don't have this kind of action um around that 
know, Allison and I always get into these um, conversations and then we say, we're just talking, I mean, we just came here to talk about bread or whatever. So, <laughs> you know, we, come, we sit down to talk about, you know, technically we're talking about food and here we are talking about, you know, the role, um, you know, the disappearing role of our elders in our society. Um, but that is such a, such a valuable point. And then it really is a way to emphasize this is not, you know, ancestral eating, especially what I have found is not an insulated, you know, aisle of the grocery store with a packaged product. It's really just an entire life and you can't pull one thread out from the other without the whole thing falling apart. And I don't, I don't know if that's how industrial food, um, you know, wants, wants it to be. Yeah. So I forgot to ask you one thing when we started. Usually when Allison and I get on, then we ask each other, what is the last meal that we had before getting on? Or, you know, maybe a meal that you really just enjoyed. So um, since yeah. we get on to talk about food. So if you want to, do you want to share this one here? Um, last meal before this? Was- yeah. <laughs> yeah. But right before this, um, I had a local mango and then I had, Mm. some lo- local eggs and local sausage <laughs> oh, that sounds so perfect that sounds I, perfect. I, it was all like you know and actually now i think about it, my coffee was local like like that's yeah. one of the things that i really try to focus on is just is local like i try to make the larger percentage of what we from where we at you know so all these things um that i ate this morning actually now that i think about it was low <laughs> really everything okay let me break it down my coffee is local coffee from <laughs> hawaii from this island but in it is local honey from the island and local cinnamon from the island oh that's awesome the things you get by the equator just blow my mind <laughs> i'm telling you i think this is like a best kept secret like i don't think people realize that what's available here um i I mean i love the tropics because it's just life grows easily here like it just thrives like fruits and vegetables and stuff but on top of that you know on this island they've introduced um several species of of game and they also raise cattle free range i I mean i don't think there's any factory farming on the island um the cows that i see they have a beautiful life like they are ocean views with beautiful weather is like yeah is is pretty much as good as it gets and so i'm just very grateful like to to be here and have this experience because you know we have such a an abundance of of high quality food mm-hmm. it's such a cool diversity that you get when you're um when you're there year round i mean we actually do have we have a lot of diversity that we're able to grow up here too but it does get pretty cold in the winter for and it's pretty you know long gray um winter and fall winter and spring <laughs> yeah but it is shocking you know we, we i had decided in the beginning of last year just to stop going to grocery stores altogether and just see what if we can live and you know that doesn't mean we've never been to a grocery store in between now and then but almost everything comes from you know just it's it, if you really are looking, then it's amazing what you can find around you. But it does take some dedication. But once you have those, like you kind of have your infrastructures in place, right? I don't know where you got your produce. Maybe it was a farmer's market, or maybe you know farmers, and maybe you have a tree in your backyard or whatever. But yeah, you kind of got it in place now. Right. Like, yeah, and I think that 
Yeah, a lot of people don't realize like kind of what's available. Um, so like a lot of people believe when I talk about animal foods, they think that that can only be found in other countries. For some reason, they think that the U.S. doesn't have high quality animal foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that's just like a narrative that's been pushed, I guess, in, in the plant-based agenda or, or whatever that in the community, I should say, that um, basically everything's tainted in North America. But I think some of the best uh, you know, animal foods come out of um, North America and you just have to know where to find them. Like when I used to go to the farmer's market, I, I remember there being farmers there uh, who will raise their own free range game. And obviously you have a large population of wild game mm-hmm. and things like like that of, the, of that nature. But you have people like the Mennonites and the Amish who are, you know, providing butter, high, really high quality, you know, animal foods like that. So I just think people don't look they just automatically think that there's something better somewhere else. But usually right. if you look right. around you, there's some good stuff. It's a story. It gives us a cop out, right? Like oh, what isn't here anyways. Um, I've heard the, I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure maybe you even said it when you're a vegan, which was okay. Maybe not everybody eats a vegan diet, but if you have the opportunity to, shouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> but um but here, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot. And, and it, it does take, um, there's no quick, easy way to find all the best food just on, you know, with one snap of your fingers, I always tell people to, and you, you know, this, I know, I know, you know, this, the most important thing is your relationship with your farmer, because one farmer is going to connect you to another farmer who's going to connect you to another farmer. And there's people who are selling stuff that is never making it to the internet. No, it's not on Instagram, you know, it's, it's, it's not on some website. You know, there are good websites for looking up farms, but a lot of this stuff is just word of mouth. If you're willing to put the time in and find it and build the relationship. For sure. For sure. I had a friend who uh, he started connecting, he connected with some guy. He was getting a hold of lobster and and all kinds of just like food that the guy was going out and harvesting it. And yeah. and but this guy, he's not putting it up. There's no market where they sell this stuff. It's like this stuff is like the rarest of the rare stuff because yeah. it requires like an individual to actually go and harvest it mm-hmm. from from the ecology, you know. So people don't realize that these the highest quality foods that they can attain to uh they're rare and that's why they're like on the menus of like these uh high class restaurants like they're they're used like these wild herbs and stuff like they they uh often end up in like these uh these uh, restaurants that are you know high class because they're rare you know they want different flavors and stuff that people aren't familiar with and so if you put effort, you can find a lot of, a lot of different avenues to where you can attain this food. You know, obviously farmers markets, connecting with farmers, uh, foraging, and just going out into the actual landscape yourself and and seeing what's available. And we have all kinds of resources, right? We we have apps where you can just take a picture and it'll tell you what, what type of plant that is, if it's edible, and what are its uses. Like we've never we've never been in a time with with such an abundance of of knowledge to where uh, it's so easily accessible that that we should feel the most comfortable now going out and, and exploring and figuring these things out. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't have the fantasy that, you know, people who lived on the farms a hundred years ago, or, you know, even our ancestors a thousand years ago lived, you know, the perfect idyllic life or anything. Like I know that 
there's a lot of times in history, it's just been really hard to survive and everything. But what I see is at this point, we really are able to combine the best of both worlds. I have a flushing toilet upstairs, you know, <laughs> and a septic system that handles the waste. So I'm not worrying about cholera or whatever, but at the same yeah. time, I still have access to the mountain spring, you know, hand dug well outside and I can get that same water. Right. So, so I don't want to like um, disregard yeah. the one gift because I have the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's not like an all in proposition to where you have to, and that's, that's the thing that we tend to go extreme when we first get introduced to something. So people will see me on camera talking about something and they'll be like, well, you got an iPhone or, or you, how are you recording that? Mm. Like, you know, and I'm like, I never said that I was abstaining all this. And at the end of the day, the only reason I'm able to share this message is because I'm embracing technology. Yeah. Like with, like there, there's plenty of people who probably know way more, have many more skills and who live off grid in a, you know, you know, in a house that they built themselves, <laughs> but they, they're not helping anybody with that because they're not reaching back out. Like, so the people that are out here looking and thirsty and hungry for that knowledge, they're not having a source of somebody's direct experience to be provided for it. So that's why I have to live like a, a med in a median, uh, I have to be the bridge for that because at the end of the day, I enjoy uh, modern luxuries as well. I just try to balance that out with as much as I can through like uh, getting outside and, and connecting to the earth, uh, foraging for foods, eating local and doing things that, that just remind me that I'm human and on the earth because I don't want to be too far disconnected. But then also I want to be connected enough to where I can communicate this message to people and it'll inspire them to go outside and, and have a connection with nature. So I think that's my motto balance. You know, that's why I always talk about stay balanced because don't get too far off because you're out of balance. You know, you, you can go all the way extreme, but then you're not of service to the world. You're not able to help and reach back out to people so you know that that's that's one of the things that people come at me a lot for is for claiming i'm all about nature but then i'm using technology you know because they expect you to be completely abstaining from technology but at the same time they they want to receive the message that you have right. which is i want to i i really like that video you posted about sleeping outside just the one in the tent um yeah um and i was gonna repost that on our we because the farm is pretty big we basically opened it up to be like a campground so people can come out and camp here so i was like oh, oh I awesome put that for that i wanted to ask you do you get lots of um like trolls <laughs> you know trolls or haters uh, that happened you have a lot of um well at some point um uh, i had this video that went viral on tiktok it has like almost two million views Jeez. and <laughs> and it's got like tens of thousands of comments and and it just sparked the whole conversation um that's when a lot of trolls came a lot of people were coming at me and they're just telling me you're not this you're not that um you're fake you're phony they were calling me i'm a misogynist uh i'm i'm racist um basically, <laughs> basically they call me every name in the book but um that was because i had kind of triggered a something that wasn't people felt immune to. And so I kind of just pointed something out. 
Uh, it was, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video where it's like veganism is a byproduct of colonization. Where I'm talking about prior to colonization. That. That yeah, yeah that, that was the one that really blew up on, on TikTok. And it really, a lot of people were mad. And then people who were like, you know, oh, I'm indigenous and I'm vegan. Like you, so it's just all around the, all around the, uh, wow. all around the, they just were coming at me from all different angles, but it didn't last long. And by now, like, in that community, I'm already, they've already kind of demonized me. So anytime that I make new content, they already kind of address me and they, their perspective is kind of set on me. So sometimes when people come out, I'm like, how do you have that perspective? I mean, you've never talked to me. You've never had a conversation with me. You're just basing your judgment of me on something somebody said on the internet. And that's kind of when we get into like a dangerous new culture of people being set in a in a perspective about somebody without ever having met that person and that that is just is just so far removed from reality because we know with the internet you can distort things so much you can get a little clip of somebody saying this one thing and and you push that out it goes viral and now the people's perception of that person is totally skewed because you didn't get the whole story so I that's why I invite people like have a conversation. Um, I did a follow up video. It was like 40 minutes long explaining everything that they were talking about me. And somebody said, I don't have 40 minutes. Like, can you just tell me up front? I was like, if you don't have 40 minutes, then you shouldn't be judging me. You shouldn't be, you know, spreading all this misinformation if you can't take 40 minutes out of your day to get to understand me and know me a little bit. Really great point. Yeah, well, I absolutely love it. <laughs> you put out. I think it's just... It's, it's timely and it's wholesome <laughs> and it's, it's really yeah. inspiring, honestly. I think people are, are receptive to it. And I think uh, we're opening up a conversation and being a bridge for these two worlds. I think you make it a very, um, I mean, there's going to be people who don't take it this way, but I feel like you make it a very safe, um, like, like it, it feels safe to discuss it and to hear you talk about it because you don't come at it as like threatening and aggressive um, you know, and, um, you know, dogmatic in any way. And, um, there is that person who's living off grid or whatever you said, you know, off grid in a shack, you know, that they built themselves and, and maybe it isn't their calling, you know, to get the word out. So I really appreciate that you, I mean, it's a lot of time, a lot of effort. And then you also took the time to come on this random (laughs) podcast. So, uh, you know, I, I saw that live you did and for everybody who's listening, I was like sending it to everybody and I was telling them like, can you believe what this guy's saying? This is so awesome. And then I was like, Grateful. I'm going to ask him if he can go on the podcast. And so they were all waiting, you know, holding their breath. What's he going to say? And- you, probably didn't, you probably didn't see, but before you probably weren't following me, but like maybe a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, I had posted up like, if anybody wants me to be on their podcast, oh, just reach you- out to me. No, yeah, so, I was, I so, was yeah. following you, but I didn't see that. So I guess it was just me. So, so I'm, I'm open to, you know, as long as it's in the realm of what I talk about, um, you know, I'm open to having these conversations and these discussions because I'm really trying to get people understanding. Like, uh, I'm not trying to win, per se, like my perspective. I just want us to be able to have this discourse in, in a very, um, you know, in, in a way where we can both 
gain something from it. And even in the last live, I had somebody who was not totally agreeing with me, but we had a very formal discourse and it, and it, we, it was good. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. If you get a chance, it's really long. It's like an hour and 40 minutes long. We went on forever, but that live on um, IGTV, which I'm going to upload to YouTube and I'll probably be clipping it up. Uh, it was along those lines. And that's what people say a lot. Like, you know, thank you. They say, thank you for having this conversation in the way that you are, because a lot of people feel the way uh, I feel and they think the way I think these, they've had these thoughts, but they haven't felt liberated to express them. And, and so that, that's what I'm, I'm trying to open up, especially for like women who are pregnant and going through that and they're feeling guilty because their body's asking them like, to eat some animal foods and, they, and their friends are like, no, you just need to eat more beans and rice or whatever. And, and it's like, I, I want to liberate people from that psychological programming. Yeah. Well, much, much gratitude to you and to your family because it takes, you know, some way for them to share this with me and with all our listeners. So I'm really appreciative to your wife and your child for um, sharing you with us for an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm grateful too. Yeah. Well, I, I hope maybe someday you would want to come back on again because I just have a thousand more questions that I would like to ask. But this was really fantastic, Ketzel, and I really, really, really appreciate it. And I know everybody else does too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely. I'm open to that. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, an awesome. Episode. All right. Standing <laughs> like uh, I'm not trying to win per se. Like my perspective, I just want us to be able to have this discourse in, in a very, um, you know, in in a way where we can both gain something from it. And even in the last live, I had somebody who was not totally agreeing with me, but we had a very formal discourse and it, and it, we, it was good. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. If you get a chance, it's really long. It's like an hour and 40 minutes long. We went on forever, but that live on um, IGTV, which I'm going to upload to YouTube and I'll probably be clipping it up. Uh, it was along those lines. And that's what people say a lot. Like, you know, thank you. They say, thank you for having this conversation in the way that you are, because a lot of people feel the way uh, I feel and they think the way I think these they've had these thoughts but they haven't felt liberated to express them and and so that that's what I'm I'm trying to open up especially for like women who are pregnant and going through that and they're feeling guilty because their body's asking them like, eat some animal foods and, they, and their friends are like no you just need to eat more beans and rice or whatever and, and it's like I, I want to liberate people from that psychological programming yeah well, much, much gratitude to you and to your family because it takes, you know, some way for them to share this with me and with all our listeners. So I'm really appreciative to your wife and your child for um, sharing you with us for an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm grateful too. Yeah, well, I, I hope maybe someday you would want to come back on again because I just have a thousand more questions that I would like to ask. But this was really fantastic, Ketzel, and I really, really, really appreciate it. And I know everybody else does too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely. I'm open to that. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, an awesome. Episode. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth, and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.